Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues the series on church words with a look at grace, the unmerited love of God. Let's listen. I heard from our former facilities manager, Tim Fox, recently, and everything's going well at his new position. But he said that at his new church, they also have a preschool. And he was called recently because one of the drains was running fairly slowly in the preschool. So use your imagination. What could be causing a preschool drain to be running slowly? Hmm, think about that for a second. Well, if you guessed a dozen pencils and paintbrushes, then you would be right. Yeah, that's what we have right up there. So yes, Tim is doing well, and he sends his love from his new position. Well, we're in the second week now of our new series titled Church Words, and today's church word is grace. Yes, there are times that people need to be given grace, aren't there? Now, preschoolers are pretty easy to give grace to, aren't they? They're still learning, but there are times where you really need to give grace to someone who's hurt you, and it's hard because, well, they should know better, right? Yes, grace is a bit of a a nuanced and, and sometimes challenging thing to bring into this world. Now, I think we all know what it looks like to give grace to others and to receive grace from others, But what I really want to talk about today, when we talk about this word grace, is what does it look like to be God's grace? Because I think the grace of God is different than the grace that we give and receive for one another. So to study this, I want to go straight to the original language in the New Testament, because the New Testament was largely written in Greek. And I would like to look at the Greek word for grace, which is charis, to get a good definition as we move forward. So when you read the New Testament and you see the word grace, what you're seeing is God's unmerited love, charis. That is the Greek word for grace. Now, the the key word that I want you to focus on up here is the middle word, unmerited. So to earn something by merit means that you deserve it. Right? You did something that was worthy of that prize, worthy of that raise, worthy of that award. In some way, your behavior merited the response that you received. But unmerited, unmerited means that you did nothing to earn or deserve what you had been given. When you look at biblical grace, Grace in the New Testament, it refers to God's love that is freely given to humanity. It is God's love that comes to us completely unmerited. What I'd like to do is I want to study a couple passages from Scripture, from the New Testament, that look at this word that we just studied, and hopefully will give us a fuller understanding of what we mean when we say grace. And, towards the end, what I want you to pay attention to is what, if anything, are we asked to do in response to this grace? Okay, so first, let's study a kind of a general introductory statement on grace that's made from Paul, and he writes this in a letter 
um, that he sends with his friend Titus. And here's what he says to Titus. He says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Okay, like I said, this is a pretty introductory statement. It's general when looking at the topic of grace, but there are two things that I really want you to notice and pay attention to. The first is that in Paul's writing, the grace of God is directly linked with salvation. Paul says that God's grace has been revealed, and this revelation has brought then the salvation to our world. So, Jesus' death and resurrection is the reason why grace exists today. Jesus' death and resurrection is the reason that salvation is possible, and thus becomes the vehicle through which grace has come into our world. What Paul is saying here is that grace is not an abstract concept, and that can be a challenge to understand because the way we talk about grace is often a little bit more abstract. I mean, we give grace to those who, who hurt us, right? That we need to forgive. That's one way we think about grace. Or maybe we say grace before a meal. That's another way to think about grace. And, and those are true, but when you see grace in the Bible, what's happening is that these statements are directly connected to the salvation of God coming into the world. Salvation has come because of grace, God's unmerited love for us. So that's the first thing that I want you to notice. And the second thing is that God's grace is for all people. Read that sentence again. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to who? To all people. Now, the audience that Paul is writing this to, he's writing a letter to the church on the island of Crete. Uh, I've got a map, just in case you don't know off the top of your head where Crete is. I surely did not as I was, I was doing this study. But you can see Crete at the very bottom here in the Mediterranean Sea. That's where the island of Crete is that Paul is writing uh, this letter to. And there are many references to the people of Crete in ancient history. And none of them are positive. It's very interesting. Uh, for example, the Roman poet Ovid referred to the lying Cretes in his, a lot of his work. Whenever you heard about the Cretes, it'd be all those lying Cretes. The, the Greeks, in fact, used a verb. The verb, they said, was to cretize, and they used that to mean to lie. So whenever they were talking about the Cretes, they said, well, that's kind of synonymous with just someone who is lying. In fact, even Paul, uh, just one chapter earlier in this letter to Titus, says one of Crete's own prophets, so someone from that island, has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, and this saying is true. So it is safe to say that people who lived on the island of Crete were universally disliked for some reason in the ancient world. And yet, Paul sends his friend Titus to that island. And Paul writes a letter, gives it to Titus, and says, I want you to bring that letter with you to 
the people of Crete. And Titus comes with that letter that proclaims God's good news of salvation to all people. Yes, in this letter, what Paul is doing is he's declaring that the grace of God has arrived and that the grace of God is for all people, even the lying Cretes. Nobody is excluded from God's grace. Yes, what he's saying here is that the invitation to God's grace is extended to every person and every group of people on earth. Now, when we're honest with ourselves, we might like to limit that a little, a little bit, wouldn't we? I mean, in the corners of our hearts, there may be a person or a group of people that we think, ah, aren't they a little less worthy of God's grace? Does God's grace really have to be so universal? We might wish for God's grace to exclude, but God's grace doesn't do that. It is radically inclusive and available to all. So when we're studying God's grace, these are the two foundational things that we need to remember, that God's grace is rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that God's grace is available to all people everywhere. Okay, that's our starting point. Now it's time to get a little bit more specific. What I want to ask now is, on a practical level, what does God's grace change for you today? In the way that you live, in the way that you interact and respond to the world, maybe even in the way you view yourself and your identity, how does God's grace impact you? I want to study now for this a passage in Hebrews. Because the author of Hebrews, he's writing about what we can do in response to God's grace. And here's what he says. He says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, hopefully that sounds like a good and encouraging passage to read, but the full impact of this is not going to make sense without a little bit of background context. In the Old Testament, the people of God had a temple, and they built a temple, and in the center of the temple was a room that they set apart, and they called that the Holy of Holies. They thought that room housed the presence of God, and in that room, they put the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the Ten Commandments, and they also had a throne that symbolized God's presence. And in this throne room, no one was allowed to enter. They believed it's too holy. That's a holy place. No one can go there except for the high priest. So the highest priest can go there, and the high priest can only go there once a year. Now, what the scriptures in the Old Testament tell us is that high priest would approach the throne room once a year with fear and trembling. Why? Because they believed that place to be a place of judgment. They believed that that place, the sole purpose of the priest going there, was to intercede on behalf of God's people for mercy. And so the person, the high priest, would enter and would bring a sacrifice. 
and the sacrifice was for all the people's sins in hopes that God may forgive them. But they approached with fear, uh, worrying that perhaps that may not happen. Okay, so that was the Old Testament understanding. Now, knowing what you just know from reading in the New Testament, reading what Hebrews says, how did things change after Jesus? Think about that for a second. And in fact, I want to read the same passage one more time, and I want you to compare and see if you can spot the differences of how people approached God's throne pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. So here's the passage one more time. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All right, here are some of the differences that I noticed. What I noticed is that now all people can approach God's throne. It's not just one person, the high priest, who can go in God's presence. That is open to everyone, every one of us. And what I noticed is that the people of God can approach this place with confidence. It's not with fear. It's not with trembling. But it is with confidence entering into God's presence. Why? Why the change from approaching God with fear to approaching God with confidence? The change here is what that throne is called. It's not a throne of judgment anymore. It is a throne of grace. And I also noticed that the access to it is not limited to once a year. But the author of Hebrews says we can approach God's throne whenever we need it. Let's apply that to us for a second. What he's saying is that any time that you feel like you are in need of the grace of God, you approach God right in that moment. You don't have to go to anyone else to approach God for you. You don't have to wait to a certain church holiday. You go in that moment. And in that moment of need, be confident that what you're going to receive in response is the grace and mercy of God. That's what it means for us today. So I want you to think about when you come to church. Because when you come to church, I believe that you should fully expect to experience the profound grace of God as you sit in those pews. And yet, I recognize that there are times when we come to church and when you sit there and your mind is flooded with all different distractions, worries, concerns, and maybe sometimes even shame. But in those moments, I hope that you are confident that when you come through those doors, you can lay all of that to the side. Meet with God, because that's what we're doing here, and then experience God's grace. For a helpful illustration of what that might look like, please enjoy the following skit. Tom, is that you? Uh, yeah, I, I was hoping nobody had recognized me. 
it's communion Sunday. I, I, I shouldn't be here. Whoa, 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 whoa. wait. The, the service is just about to start. Well, I know, I, but I've, I've had a pretty bad week this week, Paul. I, I said some not-so-nice things to people and didn't even apologize, and, and I argued with Anna all the way over here, and I haven't read my Bible in a month. And I haven't even prayed this week. Quite frankly, I, I don't think God's too happy with me. Look, I, I, I think you're a little confused. Well, speaking of communion Sunday, I better check. Oh no, I, I've only got $10. For what? Well, for communion. Tom, you do realize you don't have to pay for communion. Well, you don't know what kind of light I've been unto this world this week. Trust me, I have to pay. No, look, I think you're getting it all wrong. But I won't be taken up next week. I've got a list. And a week before Communion Sunday, I'm going to do the following. I'm going to give money to a homeless person and and give clothes to a homeless shelter and buy something nice for Anna and um, recycle. Tom, listen to me for a second. Why does the church practice communion? Um, to remind us of our salvation. And how do we get our salvation? Well, by recycling and carpooling. You're wrong, and you know it. Well, I know, but I didn't think it'd hurt to have all my ducks lined up. You're, you're wasting your time. You, you can't earn salvation. It, it's a free gift. It's there for the taking. Well, uh, so recycling will get me into heaven? No. And then I don't need this list? Sorry, no. Well, what do I do then? Nothing. It's all been done for you. Well, I guess it's safe to take my sunglasses off now? <laughs> I think it's safe. There's nothing that you need to do to earn God's love or grace. Instead, it is this free gift that God gives us. And, and so when you come to church, what you come is to experience that grace, to experience the presence of God, no matter what's going on in your heart, to know God is here and God is ready for me to experience that love. So in understanding grace, I wanted to study one last component of this because I really believe that grace is meant to be responded to. And to see how, I. I want to study Paul's life, because we've studied now uh, one passage of him talking about the power of the grace of God, but he knows about that power because of how his own life was changed by it. He says so himself in a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth, when he says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Yes, Paul believes, by his own admission, that he was the least out of all of the apostles because he was one who actively persecuted the church. 
He was one who actively sought down people who went to church and sought to imprison them. He tried to destroy the church of God. And in his other writings, he referred to himself as the enemy of God. So how will God respond to someone who considers themselves an enemy of God? With grace, of course. Paul goes on in the next verse. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul is who he is for one reason and one reason only, and that is because of God's grace. God's grace captured his heart and changed how he saw himself and the world around him. Yes, God's unmerited love for him was wholly life-changing. Now, we all know that God's grace is a gift, and you cannot earn a gift. It is freely given to you, but you can and should respond to that gift. Uh, Today, we might respond to the gifts that you receive by writing a thank you note. Well, if God's grace is a gift to us, then our life becomes our response. Our life becomes our thank you note back to God. And that is what happened with Paul. Paul says God's grace was not without effect. It affected every part of his life, both his inner life, his heart, how he viewed his own identity, and also his outer life, how he then spent his time spending the rest of his life sharing with others about this profound gift that God has given to the world. So, I hope that it has the same effect on our lives too. Because you have nothing to prove, you have nothing to earn, but you have everything to respond to. So won't you allow God's grace to surround your heart so that you can experience it deeply in your soul. Yes, and let that grace then spur you into action just like it did with Paul. Won't you live your whole life as a response to this grace? If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.